hello, it's Jacob Hill with GRC Academy. I'm here with Miss Corinne Wise. Corinne, how are you today? I'm great. Happy to be here. Thank you so much for coming on. Corinne was kind enough to be one of the peer reviewers on my CMMC overview course, and we've been talking since about CMMC, and so very thankful you're able to be here. Tell us about yourself. Tell us about your background, how you got to where you are today. Great. I own a company called Wise Technical Innovations, and we're here in Norfolk, Virginia, surrounded by lots of different branches of the military and many, many DOD contractors. We've been here for, like I said, about 20 years doing all types of work, mainly systems and network engineering, secure architecture, solutions development. And so natural progression has been towards a lot more cybersecurity in the past five years. As a matter of fact, we went away from all of the other things we were doing to focus solely on cybersecurity about five years ago. It was dominating most of the work we were doing, and it was it was the best decision for the company. And so about five years ago, I began to study all types of different assessments, including some for the Department of Homeland Security and different overlays to 853 and trying to gain experience in these different types of assessments, a lot of which have to do with critical infrastructure. And so when I found out about CMMC, I was just very, very interested, very, very excited, and I'm so happy to be a part of it. It is an awesome way to tie together all the different things that I'm passionate about, which I think a lot of other people feel the same way. Awesome. What are your business offerings? Well, we're also a DOD contractor. So we are on GSA Hacks, which is a special cybersecurity SIN on the GSA. You kind of have to jump through a few more hoops to get on that schedule. And it includes penetration testing, vulnerability scanning, threat hunt, things like that. And so our business offerings on the DOD side of the house are still centered around assessments and authorizations and the things that I just mentioned. And then on the commercial side of our house, we are getting companies ready for CMMC in two different ways. We train them. So I am a licensed training provider for the Cyber AB, and we offer the CCP and CCA training. And I also instruct for other companies. So I'm, I have great relationships with companies like Edwards and Baltimore Cyber Range, and and I love teaching for them as well. So I, I teach for my own company and for others. And then I'm spending most of my days implementing for smaller companies. And I, when I say small, usually, you know, 100 employees or less and spread all, all over the U.S., we try to find the best way to get them where they need to be to not get left behind when it comes to 800-171 compliance. And then I'm also an assessor for the Cyber AB. And so I personally take part in assessments. And that's just super, super exciting and awesome. And it's been very cool to be a part of those first assessments. That's awesome. Thank you. What are some common misconceptions that businesses have about CMMC? I think it's hard for them to to understand. We have a saying that if you're not the fourth person telling them, they're probably not going to listen. So if you're the first person explaining the concept of CMMC to a company, or maybe they've gotten a whisper of it, or they've heard these rumors of this thing that's coming but you're the first person explaining it to them, it can really go over a company's head the first time. It, it's just very difficult for a lot of them to believe that this is going to be required. Maybe that's experiences that they've had with DOD contracting in the past and things that they've seen in the past. I'm not sure where that comes from. Or it's just an overwhelmed response of, wow, this is a lot. Are you sure this is really going to happen? The biggest misunderstanding is that of our current state, that it doesn't matter about CMMC, that they're required under the DFARS clauses that they've signed to be compliant. I'd say if you were to say the number one misunderstanding, it's that one. Yeah. Yes. You mentioned training. What types of folks are taking the CCP course? Is it purely assessors or businesses coming in as well? 
we have such a mixture and it's usually split like about one third, one third, one third. So we'll get OSCs, companies that have realized the best way to save money when trying to get ready for their 800-171 compliance is to train somebody how to properly assess themselves and what an assessor is going to be looking for in the 110 controls. So you've got OSCs. And I wouldn't say that one third of them are MSPs, but sometimes it is that high with the MSPs or the service providers. So you get MSPs that are ready to do it the right way. And they, they realize the importance of them adapting to this for their customers. And that's awesome to see MSPs in there trying to help their customers that they've had for a long time get ready for this and understand it. So that's always mm -hmm. great. And then obviously we have people that want to be assessors and CCPs. So you get just people that are trying to have a career in this and learn how to be part of an assessment team. You talked about going through the CCP and CCA yourself on the road to become an assessor. Can you talk about that? So I was part of the PA program. A few years ago, you could apply to the provisional assessor program, and that was to populate the ecosystem from the beginning to get it rolling with assessors. And the requirements for that were pretty high. And we actually took this special training from the Cyber AB and Mike Snyder from the Cyber AB was our trainer. And it was great because he had a lot of experience with government assessments. And so we got to hear from his perspective and his world what it was like. But once the provisional assessor program got underway, it was going to sunset and we were required to become CCPs and CCAs within six months after those exams being released. And so that was no joke, to be honest with you. The CCP, I always say it's not that hard and the CCA is not that easy. The CCA is a pretty intense exam. It's very long. And I used every last second. And most people I talked to used every last second of that exam. And I'd put it with my CISSP probably at that level of study required or experience. CCP is more of a baseline. I just love that course because to learn what an 800-171 assessment should be. And like we said, it's valuable for an MSP or an OSC or someone that wants to be part of the assessment teams. But how could you possibly assess using the 800-171 assessment methodology without going through a course like that? Going through those trainings was awesome. It, it's just added so much value and such a great background to my assessment and, and cybersecurity experience. Excellent. Talk to us about the real world problems you're seeing companies face on their road to preparing for CMMC, implementing NIST 800-171, all that. Sure. I get a kick out of this top 10 control list that everybody puts up there that the DIPCAC had shown at some town halls related to the top 10 controls that are not met, as we say. So in the assessment world, not met means you did not meet all of the objectives below that control that are listed in 800-171A. And this top 10 list talks about the ones DIPCAC in their experiences coming across as not being met. But I get a kick out of it because the DIBCAC is visiting the upper echelon of our supply chain, right? Everything is a risk-based approach. So if you think about why the DIBCAC chose to visit whoever they chose to visit, most likely they are using a risk-based approach for the resources. So they're looking at the impact and the likelihood situation related to any one contractor, the type of CUI they have, the sensitivity of the contracts, but most of all, if they are an Achilles heel. So I think what you've seen them select are what we would deem as some pretty strong companies for the most part. And so that top 10 list is accurate for that type of company, but it's not accurate for the common DOD contractor. What we see in the real world is it would be the top 50 or the top 90 not met, okay? Because when you come in, most of this is not being practiced. That's, that's what we're seeing. It's more common 
for them to be below the 50% mark on the controls. So the controls are very, very specific. And this is going to be something that companies have to address for a lot of them from the ground up. They're just nowhere close. And so what we're seeing in the real world is a long road ahead of some of these companies, but not an impossible one. The hopeful part of that story is we have a lot of people working really hard on streamlined ways that these companies can approach compliance. Some of them will fit into the category of being able to do an enclave in a cloud. Others won't. They might be in a more complex environment and they may not be able to just do an off-prem in the cloud solution. But even for those, we've got people chugging away, working really hard at different ways that we can get them to where they need to be, right? We're starting to learn to separate out everybody needs this versus actually there's another way to do that. And there's a quicker way to do that. And there's a way that doesn't cost as much to do that. So you can see the implementers just learning and adapting so fast. I think that's going to be really good for these smaller companies that have a long way to go. We're going to get good packaged offerings that can fit a large majority of those companies. Yeah, that's excellent. You mentioned enclaves. Can you talk about them and why they might be needed? Right. If you were to even go into the SPRS system and you are reporting your 800-171 compliance score, which all DOD contractors who have CUI are required to do, one of the drop-down boxes says, is this an enterprise assessment that you've done of your company or is this an enclave assessment that you're doing of your company? And for some companies, they are able to take all of the ways that they interact with CUI and push it up into a cloud environment. And they were able to configure that cloud environment very, very carefully so that it's virtually impossible for that CUI to come back the other way out of the cloud. And they're able to work with it solely in that cloud. It's a, it's a very specific configuration. I've seen a lot of people do it wrong, but that's one of those things where I said we're getting better and better at doing it right. And you're seeing that adaptation as well. But there are ways to make it so that it is very safe and secure up there. You teach your company a whole new way of working in this cloud environment. And by doing that, you've taken the scope outside of your own facility and you've put it up in this cloud environment. And long story short, you have simplified things from the perspective of your assessment and you've reduced your scope, as we say, which is the name of the game when it comes to cost and effectiveness and efficiency. They will be doing an on-prem. But some of those companies can still do an on-prem enclave. That means we don't let CUI just exist in the whole building everywhere. Instead, we reconsider everything, the way we print, the way we email, the way we store, and we choke it back and we redesign and we have something called the logical and the physical boundary. The logical boundary is created by things like firewalls, routers, VLANs, IDS, IPS. That's how we get our logical boundary. The physical boundary is created by things like walls, doors, locks. Mm -hmm cameras, people. And so you've got this boundary that we talk about and the boundary could be at the edge of your building, which is what we call an enterprise scope or the edge of your every building you have. Or you can choke it back to a certain section of an establishment and you can make that physical and logical boundary area a very small area. And that too is an enclave. So there are different types of enclaves and we're going to see these different hybrid solutions. And then we're going to see companies where there's no way to choke back the CUI. The nature of their business is that it needs to exist everywhere. And we see even the largest companies implementing 800-171 across the board throughout the entire organization and no reduction of scope into an enclave. Can you talk about CUI data sprawl? 
I feel like that's an excellent segue to talking about that issue because a lot of the challenge is figuring out actually where the CUI is. I heard an analogy about uh, CUI. It's like boys playing in the mud and then they come inside and the mud gets everywhere and it touches everything. <laughs> right. So tell us about that and your experiences with CUI data sprawl. It's a perfect segue because we can't really determine scope unless we know where the CUI is at. So we have these very specific scoping rules that were set forth, and you can find them on the DOD CIO website. The level one scoping guide and the level two scoping guide tells you what makes something in scope. And if it's in scope, it means you need to be applying all of the controls that are applicable to those types of objects to that area. But the problem is that these companies didn't just start doing business today. Most of them have had CUI on previous contracts, and there's this e-discovery phase almost where you're just trying to figure out where it all is. As assessors, it's outside of our job to figure out whether a company is being honest or not. That is a mistake on the part of the company if they choose to not reflect accurately where their CUI is, or if they've been doing business in a way that they don't really have a good handle on that. For a company like that, if they were truly unsure or uncertain, I would recommend saying this whole thing is in scope because we don't know and we have not done a great job of containing this. And the assumption in that situation is everything's got it. And that's not a good way to approach things at the end of the day if you don't have to. So instead, what you want to happen, we call it cradle to grave. What contracts do you have? How do you receive the CUI for those contracts? Does this contract require you to create CUI. We're saying CUI, but you could use the term FCI at level one. And you have to understand all of these things about your contract. And th even that is a problem with some of the OSCs. They don't really know for sure. They're scared to ask the DOD or they're scared to ask the prime. Hopefully, one of the things that will come here as part of this program is an openness from the beginning about exactly what CUI and what types of CUI in the NARA categories could result in you creating CUI. The best advice I can tell you is that it's supposed to all be inside of the scope that you designated as a company for your 800-171 compliance. So if you've said that we have an enclave and this is our logical and physical boundary, there shouldn't be a drop of CUI outside of that boundary that isn't using the special controls related to those circumstances. So when you take CUI outside of the logical physical boundary, there's a whole bunch of controls that kick in immediately. Encryption in transit, encryption this and that. Is somebody carrying it or is it locked up? I won't get into all of the controls, but the game changes when you step outside of the boundary. Now you need to understand exactly how you're supposed to treat that CUI when it's not inside of that protected space because it's it's quite different inside and outside on purpose. And so what we find is that companies have a hard time keeping a handle on where their CUI is. And they may not understand that just one little action that is traditional behavior in their company has opened up the scope to a whole new area and increased costs and increased effort in doing so. So you've got to be really strict about those things that we mentioned, like emailing, printing, storing, and all of the policies and procedures and training, keep it where it's supposed to be and prevent that sprawling that you're talking about. You previously had mentioned you were involved in a joint surveillance assessment. Can you talk about that and how you think that might be different from a upcoming CMMC assessment? 
the idea of that program, the Joint Surveillance Voluntary Assessments, is to bridge this time where what used to be handled by the DIPCAC, which is the Defense Industrial Base Cybersecurity Assessment Center, and these assessments will then be transferred to the CMMC program and the C3PAOs and the assessors. It's a very cool, very great program where there's this time period we go with them and they're with us. Probably for more than one reason, obviously, because the DFARS clause rulemaking isn't completed. 7021 is not there, but also because there's some learning that can happen in these situations for the assessors and the C3PAOs. And then also oversight, right? They're trying to see how we're doing, right? And so you can feel all that during the joint surveillance assessments that all three are going on. Obviously, being an assessor, I talked to all of my assessor friends, some of which own C3PAOs and have all had their individual experiences with the DIPCAC or been involved in other JSVAs. And it honestly seems that each one can be different. If a C3PAO has a company that has been selected by the DIPCAC for assessment, if it's their very first time, that may have certain things transpire during it. Whereas I think if it's their second time and the DIPCAC knows that, they may stand back a little bit more that second time and let them take the reins and and just observe and maybe chime in if they need to. I think they're always there observing and chiming in. And when it comes to that process where a C3PAO is able to be part of a joint surveillance assessment, it, that is also very interesting. Yes, an OSC will go to a C3PAO and say, I'm interested. Can you get me in line or put me on the list? But how they get selected isn't really in the control of the C-3PAO. I think all C-3PAOs are hoping that they can have the opportunity to be part of one. But again, we go back to that prioritized risk-based approach of the DOD right now. They see this big list of people that want to be in this program. It very much appears that the selection process has to do with a few things that are important to them. And I'm not saying that it's always that a company is just a super important part of the supply chain, although that does seem to be a huge part of it. But it might also be that they want to do a few small businesses or get some sample types of different types of assessments. And so we don't know the answers to those questions, but I've heard different things from different C3PAOs. Some are having DIPCAC teams that are heavily involved and others are having ones that really take this passive approach and leave a lot of the assessment to the C3PAO. There are things that that DIPCAC team really cares about in 7012 that they definitely do their own thing related to those items like incident response. But it's just been such a great learning experience. I was just so thrilled to be able to learn under these circumstances and to be with the DIPCAC and try to pick up all that you can is just there's really nothing better as an assessor than to have that opportunity to learn in that way. That's awesome. Thank you. So as a business, we're interviewing for CMMC consultants to help us implement those 800-171 controls, CMMC practices. Give us some advice on how we might make sure we make the right hiring decision for our company. Good. Everything comes down to project management, right? And the fact that this is a project within your organization that you need to map out all of the work and effort involved with it and the resources that are needed. So I would treat your 800-171 compliance like a big project. And like any other project, things are going to be produced that need to be maintained from then on. So you're first going to start that process with a gap analysis. And when you talked about having the right people to do that, to 
some degree, you really do need a subject matter expert for that part. Because if you mess that part up, everything from then on is not good. In project management, we have work packages that we define all of the work involved with completing a project. If you mess up the beginning part, which is the gap analysis or that initial assessment of yourself to figure out what you do have going on and what you don't have going on, you're going to mess up all the work packages and essentially you're not going to address all that needs to be done to get there. If you don't have someone within your organization, hire someone that is an expert at 800-171 and the objectives and that knows the work involved with getting there so that they can describe to your company what PLANMs they have. Because what really erupts out of that gap analysis is the gaps. And for those gaps, we write plans of action and milestones, right? And those are the little mini projects that we've got all over the place to get compliant. And you you end up wanting to chunk those up into categories and figure out what relationships there are. And an example of that is you've got your training and awareness and you've got incident response over here, right? So you're going to break this work up. It's already broken up for you by the families. They serve as a good way to categorize the work that needs to be done. First, figure out what all of your mini projects are and put them out and then prioritize them and see if there's any relationships between the work that needs to be done and then figure out what part of this is going to be operational on an ongoing endeavor that has to be done on some type of interval. So there's a lot of controls that have you do something every so often and you need to identify what those controls are and what your company has said your intervals are and you need to begin to plan for the ongoing operational part of compliance. So not only do you have these plans that will lead you up to your assessment, but that's not going to do it if you don't have an ongoing plan for how you're going to stay compliant for the next three years. And so really identifying any controls that have operational ongoing maintenance type activities. And again, going back to good old fashioned project management, when you lay all that out, you have to map a skill to what it is that's needed to accomplish that. So let's say it's auditing and logging. What type of skill set is needed to accomplish the activities that will have to go on on an ongoing basis? And then do we have that skill set? Because what people do instead is they have a three-person company and they start mapping Sally and Mark to stuff they've never done before. Making it fit isn't going to work. You want to know what skills are needed. And if Sally's all you've got, get Sally trained or you're going to have to hire somebody. So I always just say, go back to your traditional project management when you're dealing with this and do your skills gaps, do your PINMs and tackle it that way. Excellent. What questions would you ask a consultant to make sure they're going to steer you in the right direction? I feel so bad for them when it comes to this question that you're asking. But like many other things, you can ask for certifications. Finding a CCP is a great start. At the very least, knowing that someone has been through that course and been trained very, very specifically about the CAP, they need to understand how the assessment's going to go in order to help you. That they've been through the 110 controls and then that they understand how to pull in the required resources. You're not asking that they're an expert in every single control, but what you need to know is that they are going to be able to pull and recognize what's needed for all of the different domains. So does this seem like a person who's capable of pulling the necessary resources at a cost that's acceptable to you? If you're an 800-pound gorilla company, you can afford some of the prime solutions out there. But for a smaller company, I'd be very interested in the connections that they have and what they're doing right now for your customers to meet the auditing and logging controls. 
What are you doing right now for your customers to meet the incident response controls? And if they say, oh, we work with this company and that's great, at least they have done this before and they've met it through some resources that they're tied into. But if you're asking them how they've done it before and they can't really answer those questions, that's a bad sign. You don't want this to be someone's first time at the rodeo when it comes to this. It's just too complicated. They need to have experience pulling all of this together. The most obvious question you could try to ask them is seeing if they are familiar with the fact that there are not just 110 controls, but the 320 objectives. If they didn't know that, that would be a very, very bad sign. If they are copying and pasting NIST as your system security plan, like all they're doing is copying and pasting 800-171 and you look at your system security plan and then you look at 800-171 and there's no original wording in your system security plan that's customized (laughs) to your organization, that's a bad sign. And I could go on and on. I've had students get up and storm out of class because they realized that who they had hired was just raking them over the coals. Like on the third day of CCP, they're like, oh, my goodness, I have been completely taken advantage of. Wow. (laughs) And they like went and literally one student went out and called the guy. I was like, you're fired. (laughs) You haven't been doing any of this. (laughs) Oh, okay. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, the same line of questioning now for assessors. We're trying to hire an assessor, select the right one for a company. Give us some advice. Just like we hire consultants that have experience, we want to make sure our assessor has experience and understands the unique environment that we're in. And right now, there's not a lot of assessors to choose from, but there will be in the future. And so let's say what's most unique about your company is that you're tiny, you're small. You're not like some of the companies that have huge IT staffs and all of that stuff. So finding an assessor that's been with companies of similar size and a a similar situation, that's a good start. But when it comes to the type of work that you do, you're best to go with an assessor that understands like the manufacturing environment or understands the nature of the IT work that you do or the IT contracts, because they'll really be able to understand what you're trying to convey to them as far as evidence goes and any unique solutions that you've had to come up with to overcome obstacles, they'll be able to understand what it is you're presenting to them. And so we could take that a step further to say that the C3PAO could demonstrate experience with an aerospace company, or maybe you have a certain type of CUI and you're wanting to make sure that you work with an assessor that's dealt with this type of CUI and the constraints. But usually it goes back to the type of environment and wanting an assessment company that's familiar and comfortable with that type of environment and assessing it. And the other great example is cloud, right? If it's AWS, have they assessed AWS before? If it's Azure, have they assessed Azure before? If you've got a bunch of Macs, do you have an assessor that understands how to assess Macs? Some of them have never had to do that before. That's excellent advice. Thank you. Where can people find you? My website is WTINetworks.com. And on my website, you can learn about the CCP or CCA training that we offer. You can learn about the contracts that we're attempting to get involved in or are involved in. And so I'd say that's the best place. Or you can reach out to me on LinkedIn anytime. I love LinkedIn. It's such a great place to communicate and to learn about other people. So feel free to reach out to me there as well. And it's Corinne-Wise on LinkedIn. Excellent. Thank you so much for being on today. Really appreciate your time. I think this will be really helpful for folks. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. 